At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm the host, Richard Nelson, and uh, we have a special guest in the studio with us, uh, Wayne Lewis, the Commissioner of Education for Kentucky. Wayne, welcome to the program. Pleased to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you really taking time out of your busy schedule to join us and give us an update as to what's happening in Kentucky regarding education policy. There have been some really big changes lately, and I want to start out with uh, one of the biggest news. You know, at the end of a school year, everybody expects a student to come back with a report card. But f- less often is the case where you have a report card for the school. And this has been the news in Kentucky recently about the uh, five-star accountability system where schools are being rated. Uh, and I've, I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about Kentucky's five-star accountability system. First of all, I guess, is this being done in other states, Wayne? It is. It is. Every every state um, in the country is required to have an accountability system um, that, in using federal language, provides meaningful differentiation of the performance of schools. Um, and so we get some flexibility in what a state accountability system looks like, but a lot of the parameters are pretty tightly controlled by federal legislation. Um, So namely, the Federal Every Student Succeeds Act um, of 2015 um, gives us parameters for what states' accountability systems have to look like. And then Senate Bill 1, 2017 in Kentucky gave us a little bit more um, of those parameters. So if you could tell us a little bit more, what are some of the things that you're looking for in the schools? Uh, And of course, there's a five-star rating system. So if you get one star, it means it's at subpar performance. Five-star means you're right at the top of your game, correct? So what are some of the things that you're looking for? Yeah, so I, I norm the star ratings in this way. First, I say uh, the star rating is in no way um, an attempt to characterize all that a school provides um, or the totality of its performance. It's that initial rating that gives parents and community members a marker, a data point, Um, an overall rating of a school's performance. But it is necessary to peel behind that initial rating to understand better as as well how that school is performing. The other thing is, is, uh, I would say a school that performs at the one-star level is a school that probably has lots of areas for growth. Every school has strengths, regardless of its rating. But if you rate at the one-star level, there are probably lots of areas for growth a school that's performing at the five-star level is an exceptionally uh, performing school. Um, but the three-star level bears just a little bit of consideration as well because a three-star school is at the very least pretty good. But some of our three-star schools are actually really good schools. So I wouldn't want anybody to think that if you're not a five-star school, you're not a good school. So, Wayne, you're, a couple of the things that the, you're gauging in this five star accountability system are graduation rates, 
transition readiness, readiness after high school. Uh, you will look at test scores, reading and math test scores. You also look at achievement gaps between black and white students. Uh, there's another indicator in there, too. I think other academic indicators, like in science and social studies, I think that's the other area. So you look at the school's proficiency or the student's proficiency and the, and the school's proficiency in these areas, uh, and then you come out with a, with a grade. Now, was this the first year that Kentucky schools have been graded? This is the first year that Kentucky schools will receive um, a one to five star rating. But Kentucky schools throughout the last couple versions of the of accountability systems, really the better part of the last 10 or 15 years, have always been rated. The only difference between the star ratings and in the past is a star rating is more transparent and parents better understand what that means. So why haven't I heard about ratings in the past? Uh, I'm not disputing that they haven't happened, but I've not been aware of that. That's right. Schools were rated. That's right. Tell us more. Why? Really, the only difference between the star rating is, is if I tell you that a school's overall rating is three out of five, you, even without much additional information, you kind of intuitively understand what that means. But if I say to you, if I go back to the last accountability system and say the school rated as proficient, or the school rated as distinguished, or I give you another label, or I give you a color, it's not as transparent. And so part of the angst with this accountability system is the degree of transparency around what the rating is labeled and what it's called. I gotcha. So according to uh, the information I have, 89 schools in Kentucky received a one-star rating. There were 56 schools that received five-star ratings, and then there's over 1,000 schools that were somewhere in between one and five stars. What kind of feedback have you gotten with this report card for the schools, if you will? What are you hearing from teachers, administrators, parents, or maybe, maybe nothing? You know, the, the feedback, I think, is, is what most folks would expect. Um, we do benefit in the fact that we have developed this system in Kentucky over the last two years with well over 100 stakeholders that have played a major part in its development. And so this isn't anything I developed or the department developed. Multiple stakeholders have been involved and played a significant role in this. And so I think that has, has been helpful. You always have folks that want to tear down the integrity of the system. Um, and most of the, the attempts from the small number of folks who want to tear down the integrity of the system is around making things up about the system. And so you hear people say things like, um, well, the star rating is based on a single test on a single day. It's not true. You know, or, you know, this is a function only of students who were nervous when they took the assessment. Um, or, or it's only a function of these small number of things, when in fact, Kentucky's accountability system, the way we rate schools, includes such a diverse array of indicators and factors that feed into that rating um, that I think as compared to most other states, we should be pretty proud of how inclusive we've been um, with how we, how we rate schools in Kentucky. How can a school that's somewhere in the middle or maybe not at that top level, how can they get another star added to their rating? What are some things that can be done to improve? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, if you take star levels at any level, whether it's a three-star, four-star, five-star school, because different things weigh into that star rating, 
the profile of three four-star schools is going to be different. You know, you're going to have one four-star school that really did an extraordinary job in proficiency in reading and math, maybe didn't do so well in how much kids grew from the year from one year to the next, and maybe not so well in social studies and science. And so there's a number of different ways schools can improve their star rating. If one school might improve by increasing the rate at which kids are growing. Another school might improve at the high school level by increasing the percentage of kids who are transition ready or what we typically what we used to call college and career ready um, or improving scores in social studies and science, improving your graduation rate. Any of those things that you improve are going to have a bearing on what your overall star rating is. That's good. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Calm of Matters with Kentucky Education Commissioner Wayne Lewis. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a minute. Hey, Richard Nelson here. Did you know that there's an election coming up? And according to some projections, the turnout is going to be low, somewhere in the low 30th percent range. This means that only about one out of every three eligible voters will get out to the polls to vote this November the 5th. And this is unfortunate on two accounts. First, our freedom depends on our involvement and our vote. Second, it's a really important election. Races for governor, attorney general, and other constitutional offices are on the Kentucky ballot. And the future of our Commonwealth is at stake. To learn more about the candidates, go to CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org. That's CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org. Inform yourselves about the candidates, then vote your values on Tuesday, November the 5th. Thank you for joining us on the Commonwealth Matters. I'm here with Wayne Lewis, Kentucky Commissioner of Education, and we're talking about Kentucky's five-star accountability system for the public schools. And uh, Wayne, there are 1,200 schools, public schools in Kentucky, something like that. I didn't do the math, but just looking at the ratings for the schools, it's somewhere in that neighborhood. A lot of schools, a lot of work involved in rating each of these schools. And uh, we were talking about ways that these schools can improve if they want to reach that five-star top-tier status, ways that they can improve. And one of those ways is to close the achievement gap between uh, the majority population and the minority population in our schools. So the way we define achievement gap in this accountability system is actually much broader. Um, achievement gap in Kentucky's accountability system is is simply the disparity in performance between any two group of students. So it could be between white students and African-American students. It could be economically disadvantaged and non-economically disadvantaged, kids with disabilities, mm-hmm. kids who don't have disabilities. All of those are the types of gaps um, that, that factor into schools' ratings in Kentucky. So what I'd like us to focus on is the academic achievement gap. And I'm thinking in Louisville, you have some very high performing schools and you have some that aren't performing as well. According to Insider Louisville, there was a uh, report that they issued recently or a statistic they issued 
uh, you can speak to whether or not this is accurate, but about a 30% achievement gap between black and white students in Jefferson County Public Schools. Uh, of course, the, there has been a lot of discussion over the last several years over how do we close that achievement gap? How do we uh, bring up the minority populations uh, to the same level, same performance level? Will this five-star accountability system help to close the achievement gap in the schools like Jefferson County Public School System? Is that, and I'm not sure if I'm asking that the right way, how can this help? How can this help? I believe this accountability system has the potential to have greater impact on gap closure than any system we've had before. One, because for the first time, we're directly holding ourselves as schools accountable for gap closure in an accountability system. We've never done that in a Kentucky accountability system before. We're being very transparent on the new Kentucky school report cards, on the landing page of a report card. If there's a gap or there are gaps, what those gaps are specifically, the, the student groups involved is on the landing page so that parents, community members, educators can see it. And I'm already beginning to hear um, how spotlighting those gaps and the impact that gaps have on star rating is, is causing schools and districts to ask some critical questions about how they can change their approaches to meeting the needs of specific groups of students. So I, I don't believe any one factor or any one lever will lead to gap closure, but I believe this one tool has the potential to be pretty influential. I want to talk a little bit more about that achievement gap, uh, in, especially in our inner city schools. Uh, what other things need to come into play to help close that achievement gap? Because the teachers, the, the school system itself is one part of the puzzle. Having a good, dedicated teacher in the classroom is another part. What other things will contribute to a student's success in, in the classroom? You know, I do... Quite honestly, and, and I'm, I'm criticized for this quite a bit, and I'm okay with it, um, I focus on what schools can do. And the reason I focus on what schools can do is, is because kids come to us, especially across this commonwealth and in high-poverty urban communities like Louisville, with incredible challenges, right? With difficult home situations, um, difficult economic situations, violent communities, you know, and very similar, you go into our Appalachian community where you see in an kids experiencing poverty unlike anywhere in the United States of America. But what we know from examples in Kentucky, not just across the country, is there are schools and school leaders and teachers right here in Kentucky who are making gains for the very students that other schools are not growing. And these schools haven't given parents more money. They haven't changed where kids live. They haven't changed any of the other really difficult things that we acknowledge do impact student achievement. But they have said we will fundamentally transform our approach to teaching and learning and meet students needs. And with changing nothing except the adult behavior in schools, you're beginning to see changes in student outcome. That's fantastic. And what I was the direction I was moving in, and I appreciate that answer was uh, the input from parents. The student needs to have a supportive home life. They need parents who are reading to their kids at a young age and that are, when the, when the child goes to school and brings back homework, 
that the, the parent is spending time with the student on homework and just check in to see how'd your day go? What'd you learn today? Having that conversation that's so important to a student's success. It's the best. That's best case scenario, right? So as a dad, and I'm a dad before I'm commissioner of education, I spend a tremendous amount of time reading to my daughter and, and, and doing educational enrichment activities with her in the evening and on the weekend and on the summer. And we do those things as dads, as granddads, as aunts and uncles, because we know they have profound impact on the learning of kids. There's no doubt about it. There are so many kids, though, in our schools that we have to acknowledge don't have those types of supports. What can fill the gap for those children, school, those students that don't have those advantages? What can help fill the gap? And we're going to got about a minute until we take the next break. But real quick, what can help? I do think it takes it takes a, a different type of approach. So to take very simply, if if I'm serving kids who I know don't have mom and dad at the living room table or the dining room table to help them with homework when they get e- get home in the evening, then my approach to instruction in a school can't be dependent on them going home and getting getting homework help. I have to use an approach that that is suited for that population of students. And there are approaches out there, but it takes us shifting our expectations and the way that we've traditionally done things in school to meet the needs of that population of students. Very good. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a minute. At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Hi, this is Richard Nelson with the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, and I want to thank you for listening to the Commonwealth Matters. Our goal is to help you better understand the important issues of the day, the issues of life, marriage, and religious liberty. But that isn't all we do. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is working to educate legislators and policymakers about these bedrock values so they can defend them while serving in Frankfurt. We are in regular conversations with state leaders on both sides of the aisle, encouraging them to uphold what Kentuckians like you value. But we need your help. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit group that only exists by the grace of God and the generosity of its donors. Would you consider a donation today to the Commonwealth Policy Foundation so that our work might continue? Please visit our website at commonwealthpolicyfoundation.org. There you'll find some easy ways you can help us accomplish this important work. Again, go to CommonwealthPolicyFoundation.org and consider a gift today. And thanks in advance for any help you can offer. Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm your host, Richard Nelson. And this program is truly being multi-purpose because we have Facebook Live going. Uh, we're recording for the Commonwealth Matters radio program, and it's also a podcast as well. 
And if you're just joining us with me on the program is Kentucky Commissioner of Education, Wayne Lewis. And we're talking education here on this program, aren't we, Wayne? Yes, sir. Having a great time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you just became Commissioner of Education. You were interim for uh, six months, and then you were uh, fully approved as commissioner. And I don't remember if that went through the legislative process, if there had to be some legislative approval. No, so as commissioner in Kentucky, um, I'm appointed by the State Board of Education. Um, And so I just finished a calendar year as as commissioner. Full commissioner. And uh, I know that's a tough job. You are... Uh, have some, it's well over a thousand schools in Kentucky. You work with administrators, you work with teachers. Of course, ultimately, Kentucky's education system is accountable to parents and to the taxpayers. So you've got a lot of different interest groups there. Uh, and I know you have a big stip, ship to steer, so to speak. And uh, it, it, it can be challenging as you deal with so many different issues. I want to um, go back to some good news or share some good news. Of uh, that I became aware of about a year ago, Kentucky's high school graduation rate is near the tops in the country, upwards of 90%, which puts us in the top 10 in the country. Good news. Good news. So that's the good news. Now, here's the bad news that I also learned was that about a third of the high school graduates, according to the Kentucky Department of Education metrics, uh, are not prepared for that next level, whether it's college or career readiness. Uh, What has been done in the last year to uh, close that gap? So one of the things we've done, this was really the first major initiative I undertook as as even as interim commissioner, is making revisions to Kentucky's minimum high school graduation requirements. And folks, you know, would say to me, why is it that you want to mess with high school graduation requirements? You have one of the best high school graduation rates in the country. Well, ultimately, I think the, the measure of whether we have a successful public education system is not what our high school graduation rate is. It's whether or not our kids are well prepared and finding success as they exit our public education system. And the numbers in Kentucky show us really clearly that our Kentucky high school graduates were not finding that success. In fact, seven years after um, the Kentucky high school graduating class of 2010, had finished high school, only 25% of those students had earned a two-year degree, a four-year degree, a certificate, or a diploma. Only 25%. And that's in a time when we know that 80 to 90% of the jobs being created require some degree of post-secondary education. So we had to do something to transform what we were expecting of kids um, and then change the way we provide instruction. So one of the things I've noticed in the last couple of years are, is that the community colleges across the state are offering dual enrollment. If you're a high school junior or senior, you can enroll uh, in dual enrollment. So you can get high school credit and college credit for English and for math and maybe some other classes and as well. And career and technical education. Career and technical education. So is this part of that filling that gap or meeting that gap. It is a part of it. So two, two things happen with the emphasis we've had on dual credit um, is, one, research shows us that kids who earn college credit while they're in high school are, significant, have, are significantly uh, more likely to matriculate onto post-secondary education and much more likely to actually earn a credential. And, and it's two-pronged. One is the, the, the actual post-secondary experience that we're providing for kids. We think 
has a way of helping to better prepare them for college after high school. The second piece, though, is the degree of confidence. You know, no longer does it become, can I be successful after high school when I go to college? Because we have students in Kentucky now graduating with 10, 15, 30 credit hours, and in some cases, an associate's degree, and they have had college success before they leave high school. It's no longer a question that whether they can go on and be successful. Wayne, how about the students that uh, are not going to move on to college, the four-year, even a two-year, but they want to work with their hands? They might want to be a plumber or an electrician. Is there something that's being done in our high schools to gear them towards the technical trade? What, what, what is going on for that student that is not going to go on the academic path, but they want to get out there and work in one of the trades? Yeah. So, so the first thing I think is really important for us to acknowledge, be honest with ourselves as adults and be honest with kids, is that that's going to be lots of our students. Lots of our students aren't going to go into degree programs or earn degrees. But the, the great news is most of the jobs that are available in Kentucky, really good jobs are middle skill jobs, meaning they require less than a four-year degree. And so we've put much more emphasis in our high school graduation requirements now on kids' preparation for the workforce with completing industry-recognized credentials, completing career pathways, completing youth apprenticeship programs. You see those things in the graduation requirements. You also see them in the accountability system that we referenced earlier. So as we say that students are transition ready, on one side, that might mean the student met the CPE benchmarks on the ACT examination, but it also might mean that the student completed two years of an apprenticeship program or the student earned an industry-recognized credential. All of those things factor into whether or not a student is transition ready. That's fantastic. So does this mean that we could expect to see maybe more technical courses offered in our high schools, like in a basic, basic electrician work or plumbing or carpentry, or which to some degree these courses are offered in high school? But what I'm thinking of is a, a, a fuller approach or a more, what's the word, uh, more in-depth approach. So for those that are not going to go on to college, they can go on the a technical path, and by completing those courses or that course of study, they will still get a high school diploma. We and I think I heard, I was That's hearing right. that you say that before. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Those pathways are built um, for students. It's a, it's a, a celebrated um, pathway to a high school diploma in Kentucky, just like a kid who's preparing to go to Yale. Um, and those classes are being taught in Kentucky high schools. We want to expand them. But our bigger challenge, to be honest with you right now, is breaking the stigma around them. And, and that's the stigma for students, for their parents, for teachers, for guidance counselors, and understanding that many more of our kids need to understand what these careers can hold for their futures and explore those possibilities. I, I think, Wayne, one of the ways to break that stigma is to, number one, show the demand for these different trades. Number two, to look at some of the salaries. That's right. Because <laughs> electricians are making pretty good That's money. Right. Diesel mechanics are making pretty good money. And and we need these um, right. trades. Right. And uh, so that's a good thing to promote that. And uh, Wayne, we are out of time, unfortunately. It's been good to have you on the Commonwealth Matters. Uh, appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much.